I'll let this, there we go. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. Thank you, Pastor James and Michelle, for having me. We've known each other for years, seeing each other at state conferences and kids' training, and um, it's great to finally be here. And the thing I love about church the most is just hearing that bass kick through. Um, (laughs) This side of the room's laughing because they saw what I meant in that last song. Oh, click, bom, 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 bom. <laughs> so I don't mean to embarrass you, but I find all sorts of things in church humorous. I go to lots of churches. I was at Hillsong in the city, and they were doing a live cross, and the entire live cross just dropped out. <laughs> Who loves to know that Hillsong's church services fail also? Yeah, it's awesome. But I tell you what they did in the moment was a guy jumped up, he prayed, the worship team appeared, they led a song and he said, amen, God is good, let's go back. And it went straight back to where they had dropped out. And I went, wow. That was more impressive to me than what the guy was preaching about that day. I think it was John Maxwell as well. So anyway, it was good. Well, um, as Pastor James said, I I do work for the ACC, which this church is a part of, and uh, it's a great honour and privilege to... Uh, go around to so many different churches around Queensland and in Australia and um, just talk about children's ministry, which I've been involved in for many years, but now in more recent times, the Safer Churches program. And, um, and Pastor James is right, the things that we need to know. Um, but you know, all of these things that we need to know, it is there to assist us and put us in a safe place to create an atmosphere where we can hear about Jesus And this Jesus is the very person that changed my life at age 15. And uh, this morning, I'd like to put some focus around Jesus and who He is. As we're heading towards Easter, which is in only a couple of weeks' time, um, we're going to focus around um, understanding or being able to view Him in the right way. I think sometimes we try and make Jesus fit into our life according to our perception, our lens, or what we need out of this. But as a sovereign Lord stand alone and us surrendering our life to Him, um, sometimes that doesn't quite work in how we want it to work. But nothing's different to thousands of years ago when Jesus first came onto the scene. So I'd love to have a look at, um, we're going to dive into a bit of Scripture, uh, and then I'll tie it all together, so we're going to jump around a little bit. Stay with me, buckle up, and let's hit it. I want to talk about blindness as a theme in the Bible, um, because I believe both the uh, physical blindness, but the metaphor into spiritual blindness was such a theme that runs right throughout the Bible. And to understand the Bible completely, if you just take one isolated story, you're not getting the complete biblical arc, because it's all just one beautiful story between God reuniting with mankind that was broken at the beginning of time. This is the whole biblical arc that we look at. And if you pull a story out of the Bible, I'll lead it back to Jesus because that's what the picture is of. And right through many scriptures in the Bible to lay a foundation in 2 Corinthians 4, it talks about um, uh, unbelievers not being able to see the light or uh, being kept from seeing the light. In John 12, it talks about uh, people not being able to see because their eyes being blinded. In Matthew 13, it talks about Blessed are you because your eyes are open and you can see. There's a story in the Old Testament of Samson who was uh, both blind with rage and, um, and anger and then he physically was blind. He calls out to God and does one last act 
in service towards God. There's a story in the Old Testament of Isaac who had two sons, his eyes failed, and then the the different directions of these two sons, one being Jacob that leads off in search to fulfill something in his own heart and only finding uh, he's trying to fill that with a woman. And he goes after Rachel and ends up with Leah, the sister, and then ends up with Rachel. And then he goes, it's kids. And then the story shifts and talks about Leah and she's seeking after something. And it's this story of constantly searching for something else to fulfill the whole that only God can fill. And this story I love is because when Leah finally cries out to God, she has a son called Judah, which means I'll praise him. And it's from that line that Jesus comes and this biblical arc links back around. Well, with that as a bit of a a background, I'd love to take our attention as our main text today to Mark chapter 8 verse 22. I'll read this and then we need to back up a little bit to find out how Jesus arrived here. It says in Mark 8.22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit in the dirt and the man's eye and put it in the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and said, do you see anything? And the guy looks up and says, well, I see people, but they sort of look like trees. Oh, Um, so Jesus once more does it again, and then the man's eyes were open, his sight restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home. My question when I read this scripture is, how did Jesus get the healing wrong? I don't know about you, but I ask weird questions. Did he not have the spit-to-dirt ratio correct? Did, did, he, did he not poise himself in that real spiritual prayer pose to make sure that this healing took place? What was going on for Jesus to fail at his first attempt at healing? I don't know about you, but I've read the scriptures a fair bit and I haven't seen anywhere else where Jesus had to have a second crack at it. Well, when something like this appears in the Bible, it makes you go, I reckon there's a bit more to the story. So in order to look at this, we need to go back a few chapters to find out what was happening prior for Jesus to get to the point where he had a healing fail. Who likes the fact that Jesus didn't quite get it right the first time? Well, maybe he didn't, maybe he's just going to a big effort for one of the greatest object lessons of all time. Mark 6 verse 30 it says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that uh, reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place." And they went away. But many saw them going, and they went with them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them. By this time, it was late in the day, and the disciples came to him, and this was a remote place, and it was already late, and he said, send the people away that they could go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, give them something to eat yourself. The disciples, this being, he said, they said, that would take more than half a year's wage, and we are to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat. How many loaves do you have, he asked. 
So they went and had a look, and they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them all to sit down in groups on the grass. They sat down in hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, he fed everyone. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces left over. How many? Okay, that's important to remember. And there was 5,000 there. Okay, that's, that's important. He fed, and there's 12 baskets left over. So we move forward a little bit further in the story, Mark 8, and he rocks up again. And during those days, another large crowd gathered. And uh, some books in the Bible don't record both, but here we are in the book of Mark. So he goes again, and they had nothing to eat. And Jesus calls his disciples and said, I have compassion for the people. Um, if I send them, uh, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And his disciples said, but where is the remote place? Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? If I was Jesus with my disciples, I, I, well, lucky I'm not Jesus. Let's just say that. I, I would not have... A, probably be as much patient as what Jesus was. I'd be like, did we not just feed 5,000 people the other day? And here they are with exactly the same situation and they're going, oh, where are we going to get this food from? We've got no idea. And Jesus says, all right, look, okay, sit them down. You may remember this. We've done this. Come on, guys. How many loaves have we got? And they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks to them. And then in verse 9, it says, about 4,000 people were present, and after he had sent them away, he got in, into the boat with his disciples. Well, oh, back up a little bit. Uh, I've got to find the right bit. Uh, sorry, verse 7. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. The disciples ate, the, the, disciples, uh, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls. How many? Okay, that's important as well. How many the first time? Twelve. How many the second time? Seven. Are you with me? Yeah. This is important. We need to remember these things. Stay with me. This is when the story gets hilarious. So Jesus jumps in the boat and um, let's keep reading. He got into the boat with his disciples, went into the region of Del Manatha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him and they asked him for a sign. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given. Then he left and got back into the boat. So verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring some bread. Do you find that hilarious? They've collected 12 basketfuls, then they've collected seven basketfuls, and then they get into the boat, and Jesus turns around, and he says to them, "Um, be careful, Jesus warned, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And then all the disciples over the side started discussing, it's because we forgot the bread. I told you to, br- John, I told you to pick the bread up. And I thought Peter was getting the bread. And they're over here having this argument about bread. And Jesus, aware of the discussion, says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand what I'm trying to do here? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes, but you fail to see? And ears and fail to hear, and you don't remember. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls? Twelve. Oh, well, you're doing better than the disciples, let me tell you. 
And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many did you pick up? Seven. And they're like, okay, do you still not understand? End of chapter. What? So here they are in a boat. He's fed these thousand, 12 basketfuls left over. He, he, he has the next basket, seven left over. They jump into a boat. He's talking about the Pharisees, be careful of them. And they're like, I told you, you should have got bread. And he's like, you idiots, seriously. Are you not catching what I'm talking about here? How many? 12. How many? Seven. Don't you get it? And then the chapter ends. I'm like, have you ever read the bit in the Bible when you're, I'm here scrolling, flicking for those, but you're scrolling through and you're like, what happens next? I remember when I first became a Christian, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and at the end of Acts, Paul goes to Rome. Great, the story kicks on. Let's read Romans. Whoa, what's this? That doesn't, it wasn't, I, was, I wanted a story. Then it starts being instructional and that, it was a letter and that was just boring. And so I'm like, no, I want more of the story. You know, when you're watching an episode and it reaches that bit where you're like, oh, what happens next? Yeah. This is why everyone's watching Netflix these days rather than waiting till the following week. We're not waiting seven days for this. Wait for the whole series to be done and watch them. Well, what happens directly after this? Well, directly after this is when they get off the boat and they walk up and they meet who? The blind man. What, what, what's happening here? What's happen- well, let's do a bit of a histori- historical and geographical lesson as to help us understand. Where he fed the first group of people was smack bang in the middle of all of the Jewish countryside. And he's there, Jesus, a walking object lesson with 12 disciples depicting 12 tribes saying, I'm opening up to all the people of Israel. They are all welcome to be part of who I'm calling in to be what is the new church. He's calling in the 12, and then he feeds and has 12 basketfuls left over, and he's basically saying, I have enough to feed all the 12 tribes. I have enough to be beyond the law. I have enough through grace, through nothing of you've done your own, to receive something free to all the 12 tribes. Well, it's interesting because the second place where he does this miracle is in this place called the Decapolis, which is in the middle of where all of the Gentiles are. And if we go back into the Old Testament, it talks about seven large nations of Gentiles. And here he is with how many baskets left over? Seven. And Jesus is saying, hey, not only am I going to feed the 12 tribes of Israel, but I'm also going to feed these Gentile pagan nations. And I want to feed them spiritually as well. It's not just for the 12, but it's also for the seven. I'm here to feed everyone. And this is the story that he's telling. And he's got this big object lesson going on. I sit there going, man, I like fold a piece of paper, cut it and unfold it. It turns into a cross and the kids are amazed. Like, this is a big effort to go to an object lesson feeding 5,000 and 4,000 and the baskets. But he's trying to teach the disciples something here to ingrain it in them that it's not just for the 12 tribes, but it's for every person, this message of hope, this message of love, this message of grace. And he gets out of the boat and I could just see he's just 
finish the chapter with, do you not get it? And a blind man walks up to him. He says, come here, I'm going to heal you. And he starts to do this healing that fails. Well, maybe it doesn't. He just does this healing. Maybe it's to emphasize something. And he goes, I'm sort of seeing something. And then he heals him the second time. And then he sees. I'd like to ask the question this morning, how well you're seeing spiritually? All of this back context to ask you this question. How well do you see spiritually? Because Jesus is coming to oppose the religious institute at the day that we're so easy to read the Bible and go, oh, those Pharisees, but yet we can become so religious and stuck in our ways. We can look at traditional style churches that you perhaps may have even grown up in in their religious practices, but yet we're no different in our religious practices because I guarantee that at least 85% of you are sitting in the seat you sit in every Sunday. Awkward. (laughs) I guarantee that we do the same things. Now, I'm not opposed to discipline, but I'm talking about things becoming so religious to us that we lose sight of what they actually are and we're not seeing clearly. And here Jesus goes on to rebuke the Pharisees about how they profess to see, but yet really the God they're seeing is like these fuzzy trees, not quite clear in their eyes. So I have three questions this morning that I'd love to ask you. If you are taking notes, you can write them down. If you're not taking notes... One of these questions will apply to you, probably two. Number one, are your eyes open? To see clearly spiritually, you first need to have Jesus do something in your life. Just like the man did and prayed and he was able to see clearly. There I was at 15 and I needed to see clearly. I had never been in church at the age of 15. No, that's a lie. I'd been once to a Catholic church. I was playing knuckles with my cousin. He smacked me. I screamed, my auntie smacked me, and that was my church experience. I was about five. Um, Apart from that, I didn't do it. didn't go to church. I was about to do a religious education class in grade nine, my first ever, and the principal turned up and took me out of class because I had allegedly done something naughty. Allegedly. I did end up with a four-day suspension, but I still say allegedly. It's my story. I'm sticking to it. Who's wondering what I did? Look, the guy had a rat's tail. I had a cigarette lighter. And I was helping him. Let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it at that. Apparently, that's worth four days anyway. And there I was about to do a religious education class and I was taken away. Oh, my spiritual life could have been wrecked forever. Well, it wasn't. I had a good friend who came and he shared the message of Jesus to me at age 15. And there was something inside of me that knew that I had this void in my heart and I needed to know what he was talking about more. And, and he explained Jesus in a very 15-year-old way. It wasn't deeply theological but I knew for a fact that I needed something. And I remember going to this youth group on a Friday night in a tiny little community centre, a dodgy community centre. I don't exaggerate. It was completely dodgy. There was live wires hanging out of the wall. Um, 
I knew this because one of my friends touched it and got zapped. We went and told the maintenance guy of the place, hey, there's a live wire hanging out, you've got to fix that. He goes, no, it's not live. We go, it is live. And he went, and he got zapped. We just told you it was live. Um, But I gave my heart to the Lord on this Friday night in this dodgy community centre by a bunch of guys who were age 18 or 19 that had had a falling out at their church. It was not a great beginnings. And there was about 30 people in this place and 12 people gave their heart to the Lord this night. Now, I wouldn't suspect most youth leaders do this, but I was voted number one not to make it. Isn't that horrible? The leaders sitting around, great to see 12 salvations today. He's probably not going to make it. Let's put our efforts into this one because we reckon they're going to come good. Out of my knowledge, I think I'm the only one that's still serving God today out of the 12. And the guy that led me to the Lord is also not serving God anymore. So um, that's quite a sad story. But I am. The next night, it was a party. A Saturday night, we're going to a party. There's going to be alcohol. There was drugs. I'm on the Gold Coast. Wasn't in the best scene of friends. And I remember walking to the party and just thinking, I'm not keen. As a 15-year-old language, I'm just not keen. And I got there. I said, I'm not, I'm not keen. I'm going home. And I remember walking home this night and looking. And it is the most cliche, ridiculous pastor preaching thing that I'll say next, but it was my story. The stars were so much brighter. The moon was out, the night was fresh, and I walked with this freedom and this freshness, and for the first time my eyes were opened, I lived in the same suburb my whole life, and to me it was just where I lived, and I'm walking along like, that's the most amazing tree I've ever seen. Look at the sky. This sky is amazing. I'm 15. And I'm like, unbelievable. Why were my eyes open? It's because it had nothing to do with what I was looking at. It had to do with the spiritual state that God had done something in my heart that had so radically changed who I was. And I remember walking along that night. I said, God, I don't know what you've done, but I've got some hang-ups and I've got some problems. So you're going to need to change me in a week. And if you can do that, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, I never smoked, I never did drugs, and I didn't drink alcohol from that day forward. Within a week, there's something about challenging the creator of the heavens and the earth, isn't there? Well, if you can do this in a week, God, I'll give you a week. If you can do that, then I'll serve you. Well, he did it in a week. Radically changed. My eyes were open. Something shifted. And I believe this morning that I don't say it out of condemnation, nor do I say it as a throwaway, but I believe that there's people in this place that can come to know Jesus and life instantly changed with the hope and the message and the grace that he has for every one of us because I am no more special than you are. For God so loved the whole world. For God loved you all. In fact, he knew you before the foundation of earth and he wants to have you live a life that you absolutely are called and destined and purposed to live. And we sell ourselves short so much. I did a communications course a few years ago with a, this particular preacher, Paul Scanlon. And uh, he was saying, define your life message. And anyway, when I went away, I thought about it. And I, I, it took me about two weeks. And it's this, I want this morning to be able to help you. So I want to align people's potential with God's possibilities. 
That's my life message. I don't come here this morning just to preach a message and roll it out and move on. I'm believing wholeheartedly that when I pray at the end of this message for two groups of people, one, if you don't know Jesus, that you can come to know him for the very first time. I don't know any of you. I don't know if you could all be looking around going, well, we're all Christian. Well, I don't know. I only come to Gladstone once every year. But I'm going to give an opportunity at the end for you to know Jesus and for your eyes to be open in the same way that I experienced. Because I believe that God's possibilities are going to match up with the potential that he created with you at the foundation of the earth for you to live a better life. The second question is the one for the majority here this morning. It's, are you seeing clearly? Are you seeing clearly? Because the man said, I can see. He's seeing better than he had ever seen before. But the problem is, I've been in this stage of life before. I could see better than I could see before. I was seeing better than I was as a 15-year-old when I was messed up. But I'm still seeing Jesus or people and life through this cloudy haze as a tree. Because I had fallen into my religious ways, and this is who Jesus was challenging people who were professing to be able to see, but they're not seeing clearly. The religious group of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were professing to see Jesus and know Jesus, but yet their eyes were really cloudy, and they were seeing trees when they should have been seeing people. In John 9, 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he had found him he said do you believe in the son of man who is he sir the man asked tell me so that I may believe in him and Jesus said you've now seen him in fact he is the one speaking with you then the man said Lord I believe isn't that a response right then the minute we encounter Jesus Lord I believe the Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips that we shall be saved it doesn't take a whole lot to get our life right it's to place a life in the hands of the Lord and so often we want to well you've got to do this and then you've got to do that and then you can come to a new Christian class and then you can do and then you and then you can be no look believe in your heart this man just says I believe great you're in and he worshipped him and Jesus said for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind and some Pharisees were sitting there and they said what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But it's the fact that you claim that you can see is the reason why you'll stay blind. It's a dangerous place to be in life when you claim to see and yet you stay blind. When you claim to be a Christian, but yet you don't love your brother. When you claim to be a Christian, but yet you speak or treat your family the way you do when you're dishonest in tax, when you uh, just bend the rules a little bit, when you're speeding down the road on your phone saying, I'm covered by grace. Come on, exactly, because when Jesus does a work in your heart, it should produce action to match up with what he's doing in your heart. In fact, the Bible says there's Jesus sitting there at the Last Supper, And he's with Jesus, he's with his disciples, and he says to his disciples, hey, I've got this new thing. And everyone leans in. You've got this new thing? Great, I want to hear this. He goes, love one another. And everyone goes, what? 
we've been following you for three years, you've been telling us to love. He goes, no, let me say this really clearly. Love one another. Because as you love one another, this will be the very thing that the world sees which will turn people to me. I think we get so caught up in going and reaching the lost when we just need to love one another in this place a whole lot better. When I read the book of Acts, they just so loved one another that not one person was in lack, that other people looked and said there is something about the way these people are living in Gladstone at Port City Church that I need to be a part of. It's a community of people who feel valued, a community of people who feel loved, a community of people who are so accepted, a community of people who so extravagantly do life with each other in a loving way that I want to be a part of that. And yet what we've boiled it down to is how well we do programs, how well we, um, we try and outwork Christianity when it's simply something that needs to be an overflow of who we are. So my question is, are you seeing trees? Are you claiming to see but yet stay blind? Because I tell you, if we have not got a heart as Christians to be falling on our knees, repenting before God and saying, let me see clearly Jesus on a daily basis, then we're no better off than the religious Pharisees that we read about in the Bible and we look at and go, how could they ever have thought that? We need to have our eyes opened. We need to have our eyes open. As our eyes open, we get extravagant in our love towards other people. We get generous. We don't even need to talk about tithes and offerings each service because it's just extravagantly coming out of us. We don't need to talk about going and making meals for the sick and, and reaching out to a school, being part of our school PNC and being part, part of the, the sports clubs we're a part of or being part of the interest groups that are where our life is. We're just loving people where we go. Or are we seeing, my eyes are sort of open, but I'm, 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 I'm sort of seeing what Jesus and it's about. I'm coming in every Sunday. I'm here every Sunday, at least twice a month anyway. I'm here 15 minutes late, but it counts. I can sort of see, and we religiously tick off the obligation of what we're doing here. I love preaching and visiting, uh, visiting churches and preaching because I leave Pastor James loves it because he's going to India. So for the rest of the pastoral care team, you're going to have a fantastic week. Here's the third question. Will you allow Jesus to open your eyes a second time? What if the man said, no, I'm good. I'm seeing better than I've ever seen before. I am happy with the trees. I've been blind my whole life. I can see color and foggy trees and it's amazing. Are you happy with the Christianity you're living? I don't know about you, but I'm just never satisfied with where I am in most things in life. And I think that's a good thing because God wants us to grow and God wants us to expand. I want to be reading books. I want my education to grow. I want my fitness to get better. Who wants their fitness to get better? Well, do something. <laughs> I used to play rugby for many years. I then stopped playing. I played at quite a high level. I travelled Australia and played rugby. And then I stopped playing. 
and I kept eating. And I wasn't training three nights a week and playing on Saturday. And who knows that you still think you're an athlete at that point. Until your wife buys you a running watch for Christmas. That's subtle. Well, I've started running. I've now committed to running 100 kilometers a month. I was talking to Pastor James. He went for a run yesterday afternoon as well. That's impressive. I was telling him I'm going to go for a run. Did it motivate you? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, uh, I went for a run last night, and I went for a run this morning in the rain. It was horrible. <laughs> and I went for a run, right? Let me just share with you for a minute. And Pastor James said, hey, just run over the bridge, head out there, it's beautiful out there. I said, yeah, sure. So I ran down, I'm running down the street, went over, got to the bridge, the bridge is up. <laughs> is this bridge ever up? Happens to be up when it's pouring rain and I need to cross it. Oh, great. Thank you. Anyway, I looped back around and I crossed it when it was down. We've got to allow Jesus to do something fresh in our life again, because if the man just got stuck with being okay with cloudy trees... He was never going to live his full potential in life. Now, whether your eyes are going to be open for the first time today, and when this story of Jesus, who comes into the world, who loves you so much and dies on the cross, to reunite you, you, mankind, with God, which was the very purpose at the beginning of time, whether you say, hey, I don't fully understand this, that's okay. Many people didn't fully... Do you, think, do you think the blind man theologically understood everything at the point that he just said, hey, listen, can you do something? Yeah. I love the story of the little boy in one of these that brings his lunch. Here's a little boy who... He had no idea who Jesus was. Some were saying he's a prophet. Some were saying, you know, he, he is the Lord. Some were saying he's the one who's going to liberate us from the Romans. Yeah. We, we have the context of... Well, for me, 35 Easter and Christmases to at least know who Jesus was. This boy's there, had no context, and he goes, you know what, despite me knowing all the answers, I'm going to put what I've got in your hands and say, just do something. And you may not have all the answers here this morning theologically, but it's a step of faith to say, I'm going to put this in your hands. And for the first time, it's a little bit nervous. And for the second and the third and the fifth and the tenth and the hundredth time, it's also a little bit apprehensive because you end up having guilt or shame attached to you not living the life that he's called you to live. And it should never be guilt, shame or any of those emotions because Jesus came to take away the guilt and the shame. And I'm okay with coming boldly to the throne room of grace every day and saying, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I don't get it right, I'm not perfect, I probably drive speeding with the phone in my hand, asking for grace, but God, I need you to do something in me fresh today. And maybe that's you this morning as well. My prayer is that you would adjust your mindset so you don't just live with an attitude that your eyes are open enough, but you want your eyes to be open clearly so you can see the things that are needed in this world. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? 
I've said right the way through this message that I was going to give two opportunities. And the first opportunity is for those people who don't know Jesus at all as their Lord and Saviour, and it's an opportunity where you can, without the questions answered, step out in faith and say, I believe in you with my heart, and I'm going to confess with my mouth this morning, and I'm going to go on a journey to start to allow you do something in my life. If that's you this morning, and you would like me to pray a prayer with you, would you raise your hand, and then just drop it, and I'll just see that hand, and then we'll put it down, I'll pray with you. Is there anyone here this morning, as I give it a quick moment, there's one hand, thank you so much, sir. Is there anyone else here this morning? Well, for the one person who's stepping out here this morning, which all of heaven rejoices, we're going to pray together a prayer. But I'm going to tie it in with the second group, which is those who have their eyes open already, and they're professing that your eyes are open, but yet you and your heart know you're probably seeing trees and aspects of your Christianity this morning. And if that's you, in the same manner that you did many years ago, I'm going to ask you to apply faith and step out in faith and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And as we pray this prayer with this brother this morning, we're going to believe that God's going to do something fresh in your life also. Why don't we pray after me? Jesus, I give you my life. I confess with my mouth the belief in my heart that you are Lord. I put my life fully in your hands. Help me to see things clearly as you have purposed. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor James, I'll hand over to you. Thank you. Great. Can we just have the musicians...